Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. I'm here with my good friend, Kathy Escobar. She is a writer. She is a community builder. She is one of the most loving, extraordinary women I know. She's a connector and anybody would be What's the word I'm looking for, Kathy? You can't answer. <laughs> I was like, you need to stop. <laughs> no, anybody would be. You can tell I've done too much work today. But anyway, it would be a privilege for anybody to be your friend. And I'm very thankful that we're friends. So I'm in Colorado right now. We've been doing the meditative archery and mindful archery workshops all weekend. Kathy brings me to Colorado every October. This year, my math is gonna be off, but I think it was like 36 people. Um, I think 12 of those were children from the ages of six to 16, I think. Um, so it's been amazing, but I am lucky enough to be here with my friend and have her talk about herself. She has, I believe, I mean, she might disagree with this because <clears throat> she's a two on the Enneagram. <laughs> and if you don't know what a two is, you can look it up and be inundated with lots of material. But she is an innovator and I think is a connector extraordinaire. I'm going to pause one second and also let you know, there is a dog in the room. <laughs> eating just, a bone. <laughs> yeah, just like in my house, there's a dog in the room eating a bone. So that's not Kathy and I doing something weird. <laughs> you should add her picture to the little thing so you can see. I will. It's Raina. And she rocks, but it is going to maybe be a teeny bit yeah. distracting, but just know she's super happy yeah. right now. <laughs> so thank you for agreeing to do this, Kathy. I'm always happy to be hanging out <laughs> on a couch with you. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe, for starters, because of where we're at, maybe just give a little information about your vision with the Beauty Heels. I don't know if the whole umbrella is Beauty Heels, but those things that you're doing, the Water Heels, the Beauty Heels... Can you just give like a snapshot of what that is? Because we're in that right now. Yeah, so maybe yeah. say where we're where we are and what your vision is. Sure. So we are up in this really sweet little mountain cabin, um, about thirty minutes up the hill from Denver at ninety one hundred feet, and it's called Hashtag Beauty Heals uh, Rest and Renewal for Weary Souls. So it's a brand new little addition to this dream that. My husband Jose and I had as we're now empty nesters so that's like a really big thing yeah. and that's something related to Angie and I is that um, I have five kids so my oldest is 27 down to um, twins who are 19 the same age as Zion yeah. and so almost turning 20 and so we don't have any kids at home anymore and for years and years, Jose and I have done something called hashtag water heals, which is water sports empowerment for the soul. It's really a magical thing, really similar to the meditative archery where mm -hmm. these 
wild thing happens when we get in our bodies and yeah. and for us on the water. Yeah. And so um, we teach people how to water ski, wakeboard, um, kneeboard, and surf behind what the What kinds of people, Kathy? All kinds of people. So um, that is our whole thing is um, it is to make those things accessible to people who normally wouldn't have a chance yeah. to go on a boat. So we've had that for years. Um, well, we've done it for a long time. We officially became a nonprofit last year. Yeah. So it's kind of new. It's all an empty nester transition. So Beauty Heels is in addition to this because, um, well, the season for water heels in Colorado only lasts about <laughs> yeah, four months. <laughs> they're predicting snow for Thursday yeah, or Friday. So, <laughs> no, that's the first reason. And the second reason, though, is that I have a super big beef in the world, and this is that only certain people get to do certain things. I have that same beef. And it makes me really mad, and especially related to retreats and workshops and experiences that everything costs too much money and so nobody can go. And so um, we formed, uh, kind of pulled Water Heels under an umbrella nonprofit called Hashtag Community Heels, oh. and that is making spaces for transformation accessible for all. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Water Heels is already there. Beauty Heels is this new addition, and so it's a retreat house mm -hmm. um, that people can use um, for day retreats, you know, weekend retreats, not really like week-long things yeah. on the whole, um, and uh, days up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. We're going to facilitate things. We're going to um, uh, partner with just different spiritual directors, therapists, life coaches, people who want to offer things to the world mm -hmm. um, without charging so much yeah. and because they don't have to worry about the space. And then just people who have a chance to go to the mountains. You know, we had a friend here for her 40th birthday and it was just really special to be able to yes. be in the mountains on her 40th birthday. That wouldn't be something that would normally be possible for her. Yeah. And um, it was just so healing. So mm -hmm. that is um, just a new start of a dream. And Angie was here today. Oh, oh my God. Oh, I don't know what to do about that. That's but, fine. Um, and Angie is mapping out. We have room on the property. There's two acres for an archery range. So we are um, really excited to be able to have archery. And uh, some people built on Saturday. They volunteered their time to um, carve out a uh, meditative walk on the property. And it is so pretty. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. Um, I, Kathy briefly mentioned this, but today um, we went down to look at the place that we had um, scoped out for where we thought the archery range could go. It's kind of on an incline, but there's a little pocket that has almost no trees. And I mean, they don't have to cut down any big trees. And Kathy and I kind of decided where we wanted it and mapped out the shooting line. And then I um, sent her back up to the cabin, mainly for my own jealous reasons of just wanting to soak it in and kind of see what it could be. And um, it is beautiful. And I got it all mapped out. And if if I am cognizant enough, I will post some pictures of it. But one of the things that always strikes me, and it makes I think it makes me sound a little bit woo-woo, but whatever, is when I'm in nature, especially something that feels kind of... <laughs> it doesn't matter where I put the phone. 
God. We're going to take a break. <laughs> so I was saying about being woo-woo or whatever, but I, when I was down there by myself and it's starting, you know, dusk is coming and the wind is picking up and I'm in that clearing. And one thing that I'm, I'm going to try to post some pictures of how beautiful it is, but I'll also try to paint a visual picture is there are outcroppings of rocks that look like they've been poured from the mountains around this spot where the archery range is going to be and where the meditative walk is. And it's this ancient... I'm going to quote something that somebody said to Todd and I once. It's like your ancient future, and that's where... <laughs> that's it, agents it wasn't of future. It wasn't where Agents of Future came from, which, if, if the listeners don't know, that's a band Todd and I are in, my husband. But... There, there just was like this holy still moment where you realize, and this happens to me quite a bit in the woods or, or in the, my swimming spot that I go to, where you realize all the people that have come before you and the, and the land is sacred and the land doesn't belong to us. And I was a little disappointed in myself because I usually bring... Full disclosure, I never have tobacco, and I should carry it, but Tamara, my friend Tamara Brian, gave me this really fancy Earl Grey tea once that's, like, super fancy. And so I didn't have tobacco, so I was like, that is really precious to me, so I usually carry that in my fanny pack thing because one of the practices of um, medicine is... And Native American practice is you don't take too much. And if mm. you take, you leave you leave something behind. And so they would leave tobacco. And so Tamara is always way more organized than me and has tobacco <laughs> with her. I did not have that. But there was a, there is a sacredness in that spot. So I just wanted to tell you that because I know when we were talking, you know, this has been a long-time vision, but when you got this house, you didn't realize all that it came with to even expand the vision more. Right. Yeah. When we were um, kind of working on the meditative walk, just to kind of walk the property a little bit. I mean, we knew it was, we knew it was a holy place and we knew that it had all the energy and love and like strength and that we wanted, but we walk, we walked just a little bit further than we had ever been. And there's this amazing rock outcropping that we had never seen. Yeah. And we had been here like five times yeah. and had never seen it. And it was kind of right in front of us. It but kind of feels like a burial site to me. I don't know yeah. why. In a good way. Like right. not it's like a bad really way. really amazing. It's one of my favorite little spots. So yeah, it's, it is pretty uh, magical and yeah. healing. Yes, it is. And nature is healing if, if we let it be. But I want you to talk, um, because what this podcast is about, and I've told you a little bit, is about extraordinary people, normal people, doing extraordinary things. And talking to them, usually toward the end of the podcast, I'll ask you about if you have a self-care practice and what is it, and if you have a spiritual practice, what is it? But I think that 
often what makes people extraordinary are the things that shape them. Not just trauma or, you know, difficulties. Those do shape us, and I think they are important. But I'm sure there are extraordinary people that don't have trauma. I think I have yet to meet one. I was going to say, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. But I want you to speak a little bit first about what you do, but how you came to do what you do. Because there's a story behind that, and I think it's an important story because it's shaped who you are, and then, and then we'll go from there. Okay, well, I guess way back when, when I was just born. <laughs> no, I think what's important about um, you know, looking back, so I'm 52 years old, so it's a strange feeling, actually, to be like on the for sure downside. That is weird. I'm, I'm very close. And so it, it is strange. But um, the truth is, is that I uh, was born into a really wild and dysfunctional family in Northern California. My mom had two kids by her first alcoholic, married my dad, second alcoholic, um, and drug addict, and um, and then divorced him they were really good friends um and I have a really good dad Mm -hmm. a really kind and loving dear dad and he died in our house last year we brought him to our house when he got diagnosed with cancer and he lived with us for four and a half months which was really tender and really redeeming because Mm -hmm. he was never the kind of dad that you know people want yeah um, but one thing I do know is that he did love me just, but he was, you know, he was an alcoholic. He didn't have any sobriety in his life yeah. all my years. And then, you know, married another alcoholic after that. So, so three, three alcoholics. in, yeah, Ooh. three. So it just was, um, her doing the best she could with what she had, yeah. but there was a big fallout. So the fallout for me was just, um, learning to cope with my family. I was just the good girl, like, the, the peacemaker, the good girl, don't rock the boat, be mm-hmm. nice, make everybody happy, keep everybody yeah. happy, all that. So that really served me um, well uh, on the outside mm-hmm. because I you know, got a lot of accolades for that, but it was really bad inside. Yeah. And I was, my family were not Christians. We were not, I didn't have faith-based in our family. That wasn't the thing. Um, we were from Northern California, kind of wild and free and crazy and fun. And there were lots of good things, but it was very um, uh, chaotic. Yeah. So I did find myself um, longing for Jesus. So I'll just say that that's a huge piece of my story. Because I've already added myself on here as a... Jesus love. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, I was strangely drawn and I just told the story this weekend at this conference because one reason why I still have a, 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 some semblance of a weird wild faith is because I knew then that it was some, there was something pure about it because nobody was telling me anything. Yeah. So I kind of found, I read the Bible on my own. Someone gave me one and I just really liked the Jesus stories. I was really drawn to him and to them and the way that Jesus was always about all the outcasts and lepers and all the marginalized people Mm -hmm. and power and all those things. Like I was just strangely drawn. And so it felt really pure. 
and um, no one started, no one told me what to believe until later. And so then when I was in um, my later years in high school, I had a boyfriend and his family were born, like new born again Christians, Ooh. like on fire for the Lord. I remember when people used to use the word born again. Yeah, and that was like truly like right then. And so when I met them, so I went to church with them and I, I did feel something different. You know, I kind of sort of go, I kind of think I'm a little more in on this, you know. Mm. And so, um, but right in that spot, in my story, it's a significant piece of my story because right in there, I got pregnant right before my senior year of high school. And she like, is a smarty pants. Like I was... The, she well, won't tell you how smart she is, but well, she's Well, part of smart. me was like, you know, I was like one of those did everything right, yeah. straight A student, you know, Miss Spirit, all those things. Yeah. And so... Um, it was really a, a, it was a really hard, well, the hardest thing that has ever happened to me. So, um, I made a decision to have an abortion, was crowned homecoming queen three months later, broke up with my boyfriend. Nobody knew. Yeah. Okay. And the, why that is significant is that I just like pushed down all the pain of my family, added that onto Mm. it. And was like, I better figure out how to do something to redeem my um, decision Mm. uh, that I didn't know what to do with. And I respect people's decisions on this. It was really, really hard for me because I had no one safe to kind of help me. Yeah. I mean, because it's one thing to do it and have support. But even if it's the best decision for you, any decision that you have to make alone and then keep it a secret is too painful. The secret part was the hardest part. And um, I, my mom was with me on the process, but she said, whatever you do, don't ever tell anybody because no one will understand. Yep. So, and she's um, right. I and mean, at that point. At she that was point, right. she was right. And so um, I just didn't, and I just pretended like it didn't happen. And so uh, that part, I think it would have been so different if I would have been able to get some help and support in the moment. But I didn't, and... Uh, the reason why it was so significant is because I really, truly split. I was already split. Mm-hmm. I already had an outside and an inside that were yeah. very divided. And then it just like made the chasm bigger. And so I went all in on, um, I was already right, kind of a rising star. And then like I just, school yeah, everything. everything. Yeah. I was the good, you know, I worked, I was straight A's. I was in president of yeah. every club, all those things. And then I just was like, I've got to, I've got to go get my college degree. No one in my family had a college degree. And so my dad made it through um, ninth grade and my mom was uh, trying to get her, like she was in community college mm-hmm. as a single mom. So I was like, I got to make something of my life. So I went to college on a scholarship at the one of the poorest girls there at Pepperdine University of all places. I didn't even know what it was. It turned out it was like a Church of Christ school. I didn't even know that. Someone just told me that they thought I would like it. And I um I my mom like sent for the catalog and I saw it and I ended up getting a really big scholarship there. So that's actually why I went there. And I love I love California and I love the water and it turned out to be a really good choice but um, it probably split me more. Yeah. And, uh, and then I met my husband. I, gra- I, I was like on the power track of, I graduated in three years. I didn't have money. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was on a ton of financial aid. I worked really hard. I, you know, I was surrounded by literally BMWs, Mercedes, and Ferraris, and I had a 1976 Datsun B210 <laughs> hatchback. <laughs> Mustard yellow with oh, like yes. the brown stripes. And now people would love to have that <laughs> And so Maybe. I just, you know, but I actually made some amazing friends there. I did learn a lot and I went right from that um, to getting a, a job and starting my master's degree. Like I was just driven mm-hmm. and I was not driven from a pure place. I was driven from a pain, shame place. Yeah. And it was, um, I was really on the path of destruction because I was working probably 60 to 80 hours a week, oh my getting my master's degree, working full time in a really hard job, totally inadequate, eating all my feelings, not taking good care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to uh, sort out through work things that required a different kind of sorting out. Mm. And so um, I, I started dating my husband in there. We had known each other from our hometown. And um, I took a risk to be in relationship. I did not know how to be in intimate relationship. Yeah. I knew how to be in like a good friend, but not like my guts. Yeah. Um, but he he was in and was... We, we, you know, we stumbled our way. It's kind of a miracle. We <laughs> like probably shouldn't have been does. together. Yeah. yeah. But what it did is it also solidified a deeper split mm. because I didn't tell him any of my story. Yeah. And I, uh, and then we kind of went all in on evangelical Christianity early on in our marriage, which was really rough. Yeah. Because in some ways it was good because I kind of had rails and I had a path and I had some things I didn't have in my family. I sort of felt like I belonged and I could let some part of me kind of worked all that work, 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 work thing, worked, worked, worked for Christian stuff yeah. even better. We <laughs> until, love a task. <laughs> until I realized how lonely, disconnected, insecure, and uh, full of shame I felt. Yeah. So um, I began to get honest and told my real story. I finally said out loud that I had had an abortion. I had said other things about my alcoholic family and stuff, but I had never said those words. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what happens when you let like a deep, dark secret out. Oh my God, it was, it really truly was life changing. And I finally told my husband the truth. I had already had two kids at this point. Um, and, uh, and for some people are like, what was the big deal? Oh, the big deal was like a lot was invested in me being a certain kind of person and operating a certain way. Well, there's also the thing where you are in a place where you know that you will be rejected. The possibility of rejection is so high if you reveal that in that evangelical environment. It confirms what you already believe. So you're afraid to tell because there's so much to lose. Well, yeah, and you're sitting around in Bible study. I mean, I was in Bible study with people who are always talking about the baby killers and can you believe this? And, you know, so yeah. I think that's very brave. A lot of cementing things. So... What really did happen for me at that point is I began to tell my real story. It also unlocked a lot of other pain. Mm -hmm. So I was a lot more honest about some things that had happened in my family. Um, I was able to connect the dots and realize that I had been sexually abused when I was 14 by a coworker, Mm -hmm. my job in a really grooming, like methodical thing. And it all came together this like, 
churn of healing. Mm. So it was like three years, like intense healing. What that began to do for me is I just began slowly, slowly to begin to be more integrated and less divided. Mm -hmm. And when I did... I, it took a long time, so I'm still doing it all these years it's later. Forever yeah. <laughs> so my daughter's turning 26, and so it's 26 years now um, that I very first said my truth out loud. Mm. And um, what happened though is then I started telling my story in more honest, in more honest ways, in little pockets in the church, and then I would meet other kindreds. Oh yeah. Yep. So then they go, oh my gosh, me too. And one time I was asked, this was like a big breakthrough thing, I was asked to speak about parenting kids at like a women's Bible study. And there were like a whole bunch of people there. And I will tell you, it was one of those moments where I knew if I had a microphone, I needed to tell the truth of my abortion story. And they were like, okay, I guess, you know. And I said, yeah, I'm just telling you, if you want me to share, that's what I kind of feel like I need to share about. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that other topic is really from my heart. And um, they, they they said, okay, that would be great. I don't think they really realized. But out of that, <laughs> they didn't know what was I coming. had all these women come up to me afterwards. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. It was so painful. And some friends of mine, you know, that I had known. It, but that we were new friends. So yeah. it wasn't like the, I don't lead with it. Yeah. Um, but the reality is it's so much pain underneath the surface. So that has been my life's work since then. Mm-hmm. And it's really just been just kind of big pockets where people are more honest. But what the craziest part of the story, and you know this, it, there's tons of resistance to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's so much resistance to it. And so the church is always, the quote-unquote ch- church, has always just not been super uh, looked favorably at the work that I do because it's kind of um, uh, too vulnerable, too mm-hmm. raw, too real, too messy, too unpredictable, yeah, um, too not uh, in the zone of performance, ascent, yeah, yeah, excellence, those kinds of things. Yeah. So all these years I've been doing that. I ended up um, getting. Uh, a call to become a care pastor at a church, a big mega church. I did not expect it. I was not looking for a job. I still was in the evangelical stream mm-hmm. then, and there really aren't women who do those things. Yeah. And I was kind of making my way just sort of on the margins of church. And when I got that job, I actually thought initially that he called to see if I knew somebody, <laughs> some guy. <laughs> He's like, no. Everyone I wanted you that. for the job. <laughs> and I'll always remember that. Like literally I sat on the floor in my kitchen because I was so stunned that he would ask me to do that. And when I look back on that, that makes me sick. I have yeah. been doing it for a long time. Yeah, that a man acknowledged it and wanted to pay you for it. Yes. And then, oh my gosh, there was all this stuff about is she a pastor, a coordinator, and all these things? And um, he, he did really fight for me to be a pastor, and that was the start of pastoring. And that was mm-hmm. 15 years ago. There was resistance to that, but he held his line, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. And um, but then the problem was, is I was in a super hierarchical, unhealthy power system, <laughs> doing with the work I love. Yeah. Um, and then that's when uh, uh, my eyes really got open to the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. 
and it got open to the unhealthy religious systems in a new way. I'd been bouncing on them for a long time. But then it just was like I hit it and it all came apart. My eyes got open. Scales came off my eyes. And then everywhere I looked, I saw all the dysfunction in health. And so that was 13 years ago. And then um, we, uh, I, I ended up losing my job, basically over advocating for people on the margins. Yeah. I mean, it was just all said and done. That's what it was for. Well, and that's kind of what I wanted you to talk about, because I think that that's something that you and I have always shared in common. And that's how we first met was Kathy and I were at something called Off the Map. I am not super into any kind of conferences or whatever, plus we've always been too weird and so they give us like way out in the middle of nowhere on their giant church campus that they're renting (laughs) and they're always worried that we're going to do something weird or whatever and then at that time there was we ended up in this thing on homelessness because we were saying people should actually care about people that live outside they're they're there are humans that don't have homes. That's it. There's no difference. And there was one time when I was going through my, the beginning of my healing with the abuse that I experienced, and I've talked about it on here, where I was stopped at this famous stoplight in Portland. It's famous because it's super short. And that's where people stand and ask for money. And I saw this young woman asking for money. This is probably around the time we met. And I was in therapy and doing all this work and I had made eye contact with her and I didn't have any money and I knew I was supposed to give her something. And I pulled away from the light and I felt this voice say to me, that would have been you without people looking out for you along the road of your life. That is you. That's you. And I've always cared about people that lived outside and margin people or whatever. But all of a sudden, I was that person. But people had cared enough to like, hey, come over to my house or I have dinner mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever. Um, and I came back around and she was gone. But I have never forgotten it. And so we're at this conference and Kathy is in the audience and this woman is standing up, stands up and asks this question or says, well, what do you do when basically when you're sick of homeless people? Because she's, she had been working with homeless people apparently way too long. And, and I'm not going to get into that, but we found each other. There was a, there was a few of us. Um, we found each other in the lunch area and then we were just like immediately kindred because we were like, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. You should not be working with people that live outside <laughs> if you don't like them. And we've been friends ever since, but I think the, the friendship thing, it goes more than that, but that was the original. Why do we create all of these separations? I mean, my beef is, why do we turn all of these things that people have been doing for thousands of years and turn them into elitism, elite things. I hate anything that makes something elite. 
which ties in with what you're saying, anything that keeps people out. It's the same thing. It's like anything that keeps people out because either you're charging too much or you decided that you're the queen of mindfulness and you went to college or you took all these special classes and I'm, I'm not against higher education. I have some. But if it's keeping people out, then what is the fucking point? Mm -hmm. So I want you to talk about it's always been there in you. So what, where does that come from and how does that play out in community? And then if you could speak to the kind of community that you have, because I'm biased. <laughs> I, like I do that. love our community. <laughs> well, the, real, the 12-step meeting, so the 12 steps are amazing. So, yeah. um, and I had done a lot of healing work before I went on that church staff 15 years ago, which really was like my entrance into full-time ministry-ish stuff. Um, but I had done a ton of like all kinds of groups. So my best thing is just any kind of group of people who mm -hmm. want to work yeah. and be honest and work their shit and show up yeah. and not find ways to, um, get out of it, but to go, I'm putting my butt in a chair. And that's yeah. what helped me. I went to that group all those years ago, 26 years ago, and it changed my life. But it was not a 12-step group, but I had some 12-step principles. Then when I got introduced all the way to the 12 steps, I had gone to an Alateen meeting a couple times when my mom was married mm. to my stepdad. And it was sort of helpful, but it was weird. I didn't yeah. have anyone to really talk to about it. And so... I, had, I knew what they were. I knew I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. I mean, look at the characteristics, and it's just yeah. all me. Yeah. And so um, when I started uh, really working the 12 steps, they're just a really practical, mm -hmm. powerful tool for transformation. Oh, absolutely. And they break down all the walls. So what I love yeah. about 12-step meetings is you have people who make a lot of money next to people who don't have anything. Me, you yeah, have every, every, everything. Education, non-education, you know, everything across gender, binary, non-binary, yeah. everything. And so um, politics, theology, uh, you know, and that is my most favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And so I just love to be part of anything that's like that. And to me, it's just so sad how counterculture it is. You know how many people have told me over all these years, oh, I'm not codependent. I don't need the 12 steps. I don't have a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. I, that's for those people. Yeah. I'm not like those people. I'm not people. that. Yeah, I'm yeah. not that broken. <laughs> and so uh, that is bullshit. Because yeah. we're all, this is an equal table here in terms of our humanness. Mm -hmm. This doesn't have anything to do with faith. No. This just has to do with humanness. And that's more my thing. I mean, I come from that stream of um, being, a, uh, being not a Christian, then being a really rigid Christian, mm -hmm. and then deconstructing really most everything. Yeah. And I have, now I'm in multi-faith conversations. I'm with, you know, the refuge of my faith community has people from atheists to Christians, you know, and everything yeah. in between. Um, and the truth of the matter is, though, for me, the most important thing is a space where you can be with other people who are being honest. Mm -hmm. And trying to share our experience, our strength. And I do love the word hope. Because it's the world is harsh and hard. Mm -hmm. And our best hope is 
to be with other people who are struggling too. And when I don't have any, I can borrow some from you. Mm, absolutely. And that happens in healing community. So the isolation, loneliness, disconnection, all those things, it's just, it is hell. And, um, and it's really real for so many people. So the refuge has changed over the years. I mean, that's our little Christian community mission center. The language is really just to help other people sort of understand, but really we're a hub for healing. Mm -hmm. People intersect in any way that works. So we have things pretty much almost seven days a week. Can you say some of the things that you have so people know? Yeah, so we have yoga. We have an uh, advocate's learning lab for people who are journeying with people in hard places. We have a refuge cafe open three days a week for free lunch and um, Wi-Fi and a safe place to rest and there's always tampons in the bathroom. There's always tampons in the bathroom, and you can get items from our personal care cabinet because tampons and feminine hygiene should not be only for the elite. Thank you. Do you know you. how expensive they are? Uh, yes, because I'm still buying them. And, um, <laughs> and it really pisses me off. Oh, me too. And we have make toilet paper accessible, and the reason we have a bunch of items in there, but the reason why we did toilet paper, we're 13 years old, and our ca- our build, we've only been in this building for six years that we rent, but... Uh, one time I called a single mom. I used to um, go to this certain apartment building where there were a chunk of people who I love. And it just was a rough place in the suburbs. And um, and I called one time and said, hey, I'm heading over. Is there anything you need? And this single mom who just worked her ass off to keep the lights on and just such a hard story. She's like, this is so hard for me to say, but we do not have any toilet paper. And I went to the store and I bought like the fluffiest, thickest, oh. <laughs> you know, biggest mega roll. I was by Charmin. <laughs> I was by the Scott. My kids hate it. I was like, I'm not skimmy, but that was the start of really at, passing out toilet paper at the refuge. And uh, so those things, that's just the dignity stripping, I just, just yeah. pisses me off. And so, um, that's we have that we have a house of refuge we have book pub we have nature heals contemplative mm-hmm. things outside we have a single mom's group we have um a group that um is a bunch of teenagers who have now grown up you know now they're in their mm-hmm. 20s but they were teens and um just finding their way in all kinds of ways where it's just we're a fully inclusive community so yeah. we got we got across all the all the um, it is divides. completely non-binary. Yeah, all it's the way. It's full of the whole spectrum of humanity, which <laughs> is what I love. Yeah, it really is. It's really sweet. We have a twelve-step group, so there's other things too. I'm sure I'm missing things, but that's you, and the you also gist. do something at your house on like Wednesday nights. So yeah, we called? have a house of refuge, and that is, um, you know, some people just don't even they don't want to go into a building, and yeah. um, there is something about being together in a house, and um, so that group's been meeting for thirteen years, and it's just spiritual conversation. People bring anything, so they bring um, just something that is kind of uh they're struggling with something that they're igniting their passion everyone different people facilitate the refuge is super egalitarian and this is a piece going back to the elite thing yeah and going back to the healing thing systems are pretty much all suck yes they do. and they all are tilted against um equality mm-hmm 
and they all are bent towards power and resource. Yeah. So what I love about the refuge is we're trying as best we can to break that down. So like everybody can play always. Oh, we yeah. have dinner church. Yeah. That's the other thing on Sunday night. That's so, what I was yeah. speaking out. Angie spoke at dinner church on Sunday night. And so this is a great example. Most everyone, they asked me this because I've been cultivating this community for 13 years. So do you preach every Sunday? And I'm like, <laughs> no, um, we all share that. And it's yeah. not preaching either. It's facilitating and holding space. Yeah, because it's really a conversation. I mean, it. what I've found every time that I've gone, you know, since you've switched it and it's been more of a hub, is it really is, every. there's tables and everybody's talking to each other. So I was at a table of a couple that had four daughters. Three of their daughters are sitting at the table with another little girl. We don't know each other at all. I mean, one of their daughters that was at the table had done my archery workshop we didn't know each other, and we're talking about, we're trying to talk about super deep things. It was awkward, but it was also super yeah. fun because I like awkward and I like working that out with <laughs> people. Refuge is so yeah. awkward, and that's my favorite part yeah. because we're kind of really are all awkward. And the only reason why the awkward gets squeezed out of most other systems is because you don't have a chance to actually be yourself. Yeah, because people don't and be like next awkward. to each other. Yeah, so then it's all canned, and it's everyone looking forward. And this is in so many contexts, not just church, but um, uh, breaking down those walls and having everyone play. So yeah, people, we all, cause everyone can facilitate. And share, and you know, certain people like to do that, and certain people don't. Yeah. But everyone contributes, and their um, my job is really to be a cultivator and like a fanner of the flame mm-hmm. as best that I can. So I actually have a ton of fun. Yeah, you do. Okay, we're gonna go to a commercial. Okay. And then I'm gonna ask you a couple more questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now I want to switch gears, not really, but I want you to, we've laughed and cried and raged and shot arrows at the feelings that come with being a woman in a male-dominated system, which has been the church, because I was a pastor for eight years in a church that had flat leadership that I mean we are we've talked about this before very similar different communities but very similar like you can be exactly who you are you don't need to be a Christian I don't necessarily want you to become a Christian unless that's what you want to be whatever that means um but so many things that we've bumped up against have been, and I can only speak, and I, and I'm guessing you can too, is what it's like for a white woman in America in a white dominated, you know, umbrella church. Because it's not just in evangelical religion, it's also, um, the emergent. It's very white male dominated. And that leaves a mark. And I'm I'm out of that now. So it affects me in slightly different ways. I'm still a white 
privileged woman, but I'm still a woman having to deal with the bullshit from men on a regular basis. What, what is that still like for you? And can you speak, speak to just how that affects you, what you do with it? Do you, do you know what I'm asking? <laughs> I think so. I, I mean, it's exhausting. Just say whatever you want to say. <laughs> it's exhausting. And I mean, the most important thing to remember is that, you know, I am a white, resourced, straight, yeah. married yes. woman, and it's exhausting. And yeah. so layer in yes. women of color, anyone, non-binary, I mean, yeah. on and on and on. And so Just like... Harder and harder. harder. The yes, all the layers, and so I can only speak from um, my perspective. But I do know, in having friends um, who are leaders of color, you know mm-hmm. those kinds of things. It's it's so much more brutal. Yes. yes. And uh, but the inside shared inside and outside of inside. The yes, and so because the systems are just built on white supremacy and power. And so all of them are. Yep. And, uh, but I, speaking from my own perspective, I think it's just, it's just disgusting, honestly. And it's really pervasive in my faith community. I mean, I'm so, it's a beautiful thing. You know, we've created something totally different. It doesn't mean that there aren't problems and we're not humans bumping into each other, but that piece, the patriarchy is not the issue at the refuge. <laughs> but the minute I'm outside of oh, it, yeah. and it is like this little bubble, the minute I'm outside of it, I notice it. And I'm Nothing there. made me want to smoke a cigarette more than having to go to a conference in Texas where Todd was doing Todd's stuff, not even music. I was Todd's wife. And we, oh, we were doing the songwriting thing. I was like craving a cigarette. I'm like, I am nobody here. Yeah, it's a really strange thing. I mean, it's just because I I have done a ton of uh, speaking things over the years, over a lot of years, because of the books and some things. So you go, you go to these places, and I mean, if you want to feel the energy of male power, especially in Christian circles, because that's what these were. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Yeah. And uh, the bent against women, the, the way that power begets power. And so they golf together, they meet together, there's, they make they deals together. together. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had it's, to do it. <laughs> she had to. Yeah. No, the whole thing is um, it's, it's appalling. Oh. Yeah. And here's the hardest part, I think is that the unawareness to it is so strong. Oh, no kidding. They think they're evolved. They think they're doing the work. And this is the danger right now. Honestly, in conservative systems that basically do believe that women are Mm -hmm. not supposed to do certain things, and so that's a theological construct. And I I mean, I came from that and, and, you know, threw it away. But um, the truth is, is that in those systems, it bothers me uh, because I I completely disagree with the theology. In progressive systems that basically do tout egalitarian and um, in women's equality, 
but they have no sense of the ways that the power is still exactly in place Mm -hmm. like it always has been. That is the most painful thing to me. And so, um, like I said, this other group is hurts, it's gross, it's disgusting, but over here, and I know in talking to friends who are activists and um, uh, people of color, you know, this wokeness, Ugh. That uh, that the the hardest group are the white progressive liberal thinking we're more woke mm-hmm. than we are. Yeah, and I do know that. I mean, I'm sure that that's me. You know, yeah. I was one of those people that was stunned when Donald Trump got elected, and yeah. I'm embarrassed about that. But that's where I was, mm-hmm. and um, hopefully some changes continues to happen. But when it comes to this patriarchy thing, it really pisses me off because they think if there's a couple women speaking or yeah. if there's a couple women on their staff, mm-hmm. um, even in senior positions, that Everything's shout, tokenism. Everything, that real power is not diffused. The t- when you look, trace any system, any system yeah. up to the top or the money behind the top, Yep. And it's all male. Yep. And that has got to change. And that is not the case in all systems. I Most of mine tend to be faith-based kinds of systems. Yeah. But I think it's pretty true in most systems. Oh, I, yeah, I would agree with that. And um, that we just have so far to go. And Me Too, I think Me Too helped Mm-hmm. Um, on one level, for sure, and I'm really glad for it. And there is a definite um, sisterhood and brotherhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know a lot of men who are victims of sexual yeah. violence. But the truth is, is that we have only scratched the surface, just like mm-hmm. racism, yeah. on the patriarchy. And patriarchy is the root of racism. I mean, they're all in there. Oh, yeah. They're all tangled up together. Mm-hmm. Um, and for colonialism. Sure. And it's all mixed yeah. up. Yeah. So just for me personally, I mean, some days I just want to lay on the floor in the fetal position and just say, screw it. I'm done with all of you. Yeah. I never want to play. I don't want to be a yeah. leader. I don't want to do anything. And then there are a lot more days where I'm just like the only way to smash the patriarchy is to embody something different consistently. And the only way you can embody something different consistently is to be with other people who are kindreds and doing it too. And that you can weep together and... um, tell our stories together of the shit things that people say to us Mm -hmm. and the way we're paid less and not valued properly and all those things. And then go to work five times as hard. Oh my gosh. It's circles. Yeah. And then go to bed tired and wake up the next day and say, it's worth it. I mean, I have five kids. I have one daughter and four sons Mm -hmm. and I want, the world to be different for all five of them, not just her. Yes, yes. And so... uh, And you want to... I I mean, I think we talked about this. I wanted... I mean, my son is, you know, is bi. But even before I knew that, and I don't know why that makes a difference, but it sometimes feels like gay men... And gay men, feel free to call me out on this, um, can be emotional... And I could be wrong, but I think some of my gay friends have, my gay male friends have had more contact with being able to be vulnerable. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because our culture thinks they're effeminate or something. But I felt like 
I wanted Zion to have his full range of emotion. And I knew our culture limits men and women to the full range of emotion. Men are not allowed to be vulnerable. They're allowed rage and anger. And then women are only allowed to be vulnerable, and that's considered a weakness. Mm-hmm. So the world is a better place when we're given our full range of emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Not having anything to do with who we are, what we are, what we do, but just because we're humans and humans should be able to embody all of the emotions that they need to embody because we're shutting those off all the time because of our culture. Right. And just remember the cost to that. Yes. There's a huge cost to it and we all know it and there's a cost, but it's a cost worth um, paying. Mm-hmm. But that's why I'm really passionate about different kinds of leaders who are healthier yeah. because the leaders are the ones that create the systems. Yep. And this is where, you know, honestly, until male power recognizes what they've got to lay down, it's not going to shift. I know yeah. a ton of amazing guys doing amazing work. Oh, yeah in trying to um, create different cultures, but I, I'm uh, afraid to say that I still think they're not aware that they um, still hold all the power mm-hmm. and they're not building enough bridges to um, take enough hits on behalf of the future. Yeah. So a lot of the organizations, for example, they don't even understand that if a woman was elevated to their position as executive director or lead yeah. or whatever, that all their funding would, would diminish. Mm-hmm. And um, we're not talking about that. I think we're, they are aware. But they won't. That's why you but, don't. Yeah, but no. they won't do anything No, no, and it. I actually don't think they're aware enough. Like they're, they kind yes. of go, I think somebody could come behind me. She's really talented. They don't realize what will actually really happen. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they started to do it. There's a lot of push. Yeah, and then they're like, from, oh, I'm going to lose my money. And I get it. Yeah, all I mean, those I've never things. Had it, yeah, I, it's just fear. I imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that, you know, it's not that that 100% happens. In non Christian things, it's got a better chance. Mm-hmm. But in Christian things, oh, it's definitely. doomed. Yeah. 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 So, do you think, do you see the re- repercussions of that system? in your community, even though you're kind of your own entity, you know, in a world of patriarchal structures, you're your own functioning body, I guess. Do you see the toll that patriarchy has taken on your people? Oh, over and over again. You know, I mean, the system is so bent against really anybody yeah. that's non-conforming, anybody yeah. that doesn't have bootstraps, you know, mm-hmm. to pull up, <laughs> and anybody who isn't um, basically resourced in the way that the middle class, you know, rules work on. Yeah. And so I think that's all patriarchy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously there's so many of us that are abuse victims. Mm-hmm. That's, pa- that's patriarchy yes. for the most part. Yep. And um, so many uh, people who basically have really super dysfunctional families, usually patriarchal. Mm-hmm. 
um, that the image of God that's been um, oh, yeah. layered on most of us yeah. is a really patriarchal, unhealthy, you know, not integrated, you know, whole, yeah. hopeful yeah. image of God. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, over and over and over yeah. again, every direction really it's there and that's kind of what we're trying to do in community and why I think we if you can have men and women together mm-hmm. across everything yep. you know and everything in between yep. um, all together we can heal some of those wounds mm-hmm. and then strengthen ourselves to be able to go outside yeah yep. and our people have a really high high value on justice mm-hmm. and so like not tolerating things yeah. and even me you know I'm still learning because I'm I'm a little bit older than some people I mean the next generation they notice everything about everything yeah. things that I don't even notice and I'm pretty allergic yeah. or aware yeah. and they're like that is steeped in patriarchy and you're like oh, oh yeah. yeah you're right yeah my <laughs> eyes are opened yeah. you know I so. do love that I mean that's the thing that gives me the most hope is watching our children and their friends. I mean, that happened after Trump got elected. I was hoping he wouldn't get elected, but I had this deep fear in me that he would get elected. So I was surprised, but which is two with a one wing, very apropos, surprised, but not really surprised. <laughs> I'm like, it's going to be bad because we had something. Yes, Obama wasn't perfect, but it was pretty fucking good. But after the election, Zion was, a, I think Zion was a senior. No, he must have been a junior at the time. Somehow all of his friends ended up coming over to the house. I bought pizza and we just talked. And it was all these young men all different kinds of young men that he hung out with. And it buoyed me. We buoyed each Mm -hmm. other, and it was really beautiful. And then they went, you know, back to their houses or whatever, and I ended up getting a few texts from their parents, like, thank you. And and I was like, no, they helped me feel hopeful. Any of those young people, like every single young person that I got to hold space with this weekend, you know, doing the archery, I am hopeful because they are so far beyond, you know, the gender norms. And I mean, I do live in a city, so I know it's a little bit different, but I don't know one person that doesn't believe in climate change or is not looking at some kind of patriarchal colonialism unraveling. And that is a gift to be in that environment, but it does give me hope because I think more and more and more young people are leaning that way. So it's hopeful. Yeah. But I also feel bad because we gave them a shitty... I always apologize. I'm like, I'm so sorry, everybody. We just screwed it all up. Yeah. And so we are going to do everything we can to fan you into flame. And to also... And I don't know how to do it, but as best as I can, own the shit that I've given them and try to help 
unravel it, you know, like whatever I can do as somebody that has very limited means for climate change, what can I do? How can I show up for racial justice? How can I show up for my queer friends? How, how can I show up and make amends for the damage? Not only, yes, the patriarchy, but one of the things that I think that you and I see on a regular basis, because I meet with people for spiritual direction, is the damage that families have done to their children by believing the bullshit they were given. And we saw it all the time at the bridge, and I'm sure you saw this, where their kids would actually be going to church and they wouldn't accept it because there was loud music or we mm. swore or we didn't have a pulpit. Right. And I'm like, your kids are in a community where they're loved and cared for and trying to sort out if they believe in Jesus or not, but they're still in a community and it wasn't good enough, but also... On top of it, the kids I know that have completely been abandoned by their parents because they transitioned yeah. or they got a tattoo, you know, all all across that spectrum of from like transitioning to getting a tattoo or they were caught smoking cigarettes and their parents are like, I'm done with you because Jesus wouldn't love you anymore or whatever. <laughs> like the damage upon damage upon damage in the name of Jesus, which had, I believe, has nothing to do with Jesus, has to do again with systems and people that want to profit off humanity, which is typically people of color. If we can use you, then we keep propping ourselves up. Yeah, and that's why none of this is gonna go down easy. I mean, we're in for it. We've been in for it for a long time, but now yeah. people are more aware. Yeah. And so, um, and that's what's going to probably make it be harder. Yeah. But better. Yeah. Because there is a new generation and they are not going to tolerate it. Yeah. And um, eventually we all will die. Yeah. Our generation will die and that will be a good thing. Yeah. Um, because I think, but the systems are still going to have to change and changing systems is really rough because they kind of need to topple. And, yeah. I and don't... this is, and, it's, <laughs> but, and there are certain ones that you actually can't all the way topple yeah. without crumbling a society. Yeah. And so it's a mix. You're yeah. going to have to have it all. You're going to topple some and shift some. And I mean, yeah. it's going to be a mix of a whole bunch. Yeah. But I think that we're really going to be extra uncomfortable for a long, long, yeah. long time. Yeah. Like the rest of our lives now. Yeah. And I, we weren't, you know, I, I wasn't aware the chunk of years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, just... Lots of people were just not white people. <laughs> no. And, well, and it's true. And, the, the, you know, I knew a, a little bit about poverty and yeah. growing up poor, you know, some of those things. But it was always from a white perspective. Yeah, because we and, didn't necessarily, we hadn't been educated on generational wealth and land ownership and yeah, what that gives you. Right. And the, the truth is, is that, you know, we're all hacking at it. And we yeah. all need to chip in here yeah. on the change, Amen. no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that leads me to how do you, because this is hard, the people you work with, 
a lot of them are very vulnerable. You're also dealing with systems. You're dealing with the reverberations of the patriarchy all the time. How do you self-care? And I know that's become a catchphrase, but I mean, what are the ways, and it could be silly or sound silly, or to some people not be considered self-care. Like my friend James was saying, he orders he orders his life because that's really hard for him. So he knows if he structures his life and cleans his house, that's a form of self-care for him. But most people would be like, that's not self-care. So we decide what our self-care is. How do you take care of yourself in this overwhelming time to be alive? Yeah, I I think for me, I mean, the best self-care that I do is my relationships. So I have Ooh, really good friendships. That's the first time I've heard that. I have I like really that. good friendships. And, and so you nurture them. I do nurture them and they, they help me survive. And so I I get energy and care and love from them mm-hmm. that I need. So that is, you know, that's one thing relationally that's good self-care for me. I always feel better but I, I I'm I'm a strong and extrovert but I have a lot of I like I too I like quiet mm-hmm. and I like to, you know I do do that but water for me anytime I can get to any water is good self-care yeah so or or outside yeah me too so uh water is my preference to be you know surfing and skiing and kite you know we're really water people yeah <laughs> so that's our gig in the you world you still have not getting been able to help me get up on it we're, we're going to though. Yeah. We we've 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 grown in our water yeah. hills. It hasn't skills. necessarily been your fault. <laughs> <laughs> and so, well, and I think I kind of think you'll like surfing better. It'll be easier okay. for your body. Okay. And so, um, I think in, that for me and I, being outside, like if I just go on a walk outside, mm-hmm. put my eyes up, get so outside. What do you and do down. in winter? Because it's we just walk in the winter. Okay. Yeah, I mean, unless it's really icy. Mm-hmm. So just get outside. I don't always, but as best I can, making space for people Mm -hmm. who are life-giving. And most, I mean, even for me, the hardest relationships, even like just in the refuge community or outside, because I meet with a lot of people, the hardest situations are still life-giving to me. Yeah. Um, But for self-care... I'm kind of talking about those kindred yeah. spirits. It's important. Yeah. Uh, it's different. And then um, to play and laugh. Yeah. And and then um, uh, anything to get outside, no matter what it is, just always helps. Mm-hmm. I don't always want to when it's cold. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a winter person. Yeah. So that makes I, it a little hard. When I think of you too, I also think you like to go to the movies. Well, you know, I haven't seen a movie in the theater since like what? What we're recording this in October, all summer. Maybe that's going to be a winter thing. Well, you know what we've been Kathy outside. Always takes me to the movies. I know when I'm here. we've been outside a lot this summer, yeah. and then we got Beauty Hills, so we've been up here a lot. And so I actually just talked to my mom because my mom lives near us, and I haven't seen her in this last few weeks because we were out of town. We usually do dinner on Saturday night. And Jose's working, and I, I just messaged her. I said, hey, do you want to just go to a movie on Saturday night? She's like, absolutely. She's yeah. a movie person. Yeah, too. I've got you. And two, all my two kids movies, are movies. At least two movies. I can always count on yeah. her, and um, that's, that's good. kind of fun. She, she likes to escape yeah. to the movies. <laughs> the, the last question I have for you is, 
because I say this every time, but a spiritual practice to me has nothing to do with religion or Christianity or even Jesus. It can, depending on the person. But what, and and it can be a blurry line between a spiritual practice, I think, and self-care. For, yeah. me, for me, it's very blurred because archery is both of those things for mm-hmm. me. What is your spiritual practice? Do you have one or two, and what is it? Yeah, I don't have any of my former spiritual practices. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I, the line is super, it, it's not, I don't have, this is spiritual and this is not spiritual. Yeah, I don't either. At all. But I would say, for me, the most holy thing is actually being on the water, surfing, Mm-hmm. water skiing, wakeboarding, kite surfing, like mm. that is my, whatever that happens in me is just yeah. like, I'm fully there and I'm, it's, it all is together. Yeah. And so, um, so one positive, we live in Colorado, so we only get a se- short season, mm-hmm. but, um, I am really super, super fortunate. You know, Jose is a pilot. And so I get for United. So I get to fly for free. Yeah. And so I can find ways to go get it. Oh, yeah. When it's not the season. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, not the same. Yeah. And so that that ranks number one. But the second thing that has become more of a spiritual practice in this past chunk of time has been um, art journaling. Mm. And I don't do it consistently. But when I do... It's really at whatever that combination is yeah. of unlocking, not just writing, not just thinking, but yeah. creating yeah. and processing that way. And my friend from The Refuge, Jenny Herrick, she um, has Art Lab and she's really nurtured that. So, she's amazing. She is so talented. Yes. And she's really nurtured the healing part of art. Mm-hmm. And so um, I recently got out my art journal. I have like three or four of them over the years. But I got it out um, to use, uh, to begin to use again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is one of those things that I'm super drawn to. I just need to make more time yeah. for because um, it does just open yeah. something up. Yeah, thank you. So do you have anything you want to plug, Kathy? <laughs> I'm not very good at plugging, but I am really excited about my new book, I have I to am say. too. I'm super excited. So Faith Shift, which came out in 2014, was really just for people who had really had a faith unraveling and deconstructing and just were on the side of the road bleeding and trying to figure it out. And I, I love that group of people mm-hmm. because I, that was me. Yeah. Me and too. losing it all has been the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And it was the hardest thing that ever happened to me yeah. in the big story. Yeah. But practicing is called changing yourself to change the world. And it really is about embodying something different. Mm-hmm. And so there are 10 practices in the book. Um, and they're healing and listening and loving, including equalizing, advocating, mourning, mm-hmm. failing, resting, celebrating. I think that's all 10. Yeah. And so I just am super excited about I'm it. I'm excited too. And because it's for everybody. It doesn't matter yeah. anything. You know, faith shift is kind of for conservative Christians who lost everything yeah. on the whole. And yeah. so this is really for all humans yeah. who just want to 
change ourselves to change the world. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. I can't wait. It's coming out February 2020. Woo! And where can people find you? I have a website that's kind of a hub, kathyescobar.com. Mm-hmm. I have a Facebook page. There's the website. Is I don't that, do that much on is it. That, what's your Instagram? Is it Kathy Escobar Public? Yeah. Okay. I'm not that great on those things. I'm teaching her a few <laughs> Instagram things, but it's still worth following you because people can kind of get an idea by looking at it, the other fun things that you do. Also, you know, if you if you like what you're hearing... Definitely look up Kathy's books and, you know, maybe get on the website and see the fun pictures of the community and what they do, because some of that's on there, right? Or how uh, can they find the refuge stuff? Well, if you go to my website, it's easiest, because it's just easier to remember. KathyEscobar.com, there's a link to the okay. refuge. Because it's yeah. fun to see the people. The people at the refuge are the refuge community is seriously it rocks. Yeah, it the does. The people there rock, and yeah. I'm just, I am so grateful. So that's yeah, we do a, we do fun things every week. Yeah, you do throughout the week. Yeah. So thank you for being here, and if you want to find me or anything that I do, I am on angiefatal.com and. I have a website and I have a shop. If you want to book an archery experience for a friend or for yourself or you want to meet me for spiritual direction, it does not have to be face-to-face. I meet with people or have met with people all over the world. Um, And we can have conversations similar to this because I, I love to talk about this stuff. And that's why I'm doing it, because I like to talk about it. <laughs> well, and I, I'll say just really quick, I know we need to wrap up, but I'm going to do a little plug because <laughs> for five years now, we brought Angie down to do these workshops on Friday, Saturday, and a little bit on Sunday for five years. And it has been seriously one of the best things that Refuge has done. And we to watch people transform and to see our kids. So that, I mean, there were eight little girls out there shooting. I'll put some pictures on because it's and, um, And it is, and then there were some boys and girls in the other group. It's just a beautiful thing. And watching, the, it's also the beautiful part, in my opinion, is do it once, but then keep, keep it into mm-hmm. a rhythm. Yeah. And that's a spiritual practice, yeah. a rhythms. Yeah. And so the rhythm we have is that every fall we do this together. And um, one of my I favorite love the stories. They're yeah. so good. Yeah. So thank you. you and it's a privilege. So take care of yourself. Be kind. And I'm going to start saying this every time because it's what I said to my kids every day that they left for school. And Zion said it the last time is remember who you are. Thanks, everybody. Bye. So good. Love it. B-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-
dealing with dogs podcast. No. Because here she is again. It's like she's like a kid. I don't have children anymore no. at home. And then it's like she knows yeah. she's like a toddler that knows that I'm yeah. not paying attention. So this will be our, um, I have like outtakes because we had the phone. We moved the phone from close to the floor to up on the top of the couch. And then Raina jumped up behind Kathy onto the back of the couch like Raina wanted to be in the recording, then jumped on top of me, scratched my chin with her claw, and jumped in Kathy's lap. Now, hopefully she's calmed down, and Kathy said it's the witching hour for dogs. So It's just like kids. Yeah. It's just like little kids. So, so. we're going to, this will be just our happy-go-lucky outtake. 